Hey, what's up, coffee people? This is your host, Ethan Essig, and today we have an awesome guest from the roastery in Kansas City, their green coffee buyer, expert of everything, Craig Park. Craig uh, was awesome on the show. He goes into a lot of detail about a lot of their products, and I really enjoyed talking to him. I'm not going to go for a super long-winded intro here, but again, this show, it's about bringing you the stories of people who make our amazing coffee from around the world, and Craig has more stories than just about himself, so I hope you guys really enjoy and hope you learn a lot. If you want to check out some more about the roastery, there is a link in the show notes. So without further ado, our great friend Craig Park from the roastery. All right. Hello, coffee people. My name is Ethan Essig, and I am here with Craig, the green coffee buyer at the roastery. Craig, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited yeah. to be on the podcast and talk coffee for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so my name is Craig Park. I'm the green coffee buyer and quality manager here at the roastery in Kansas City. Um, I've been here for coming up on four years now. Um, and yeah, get to have come in and taste coffees every day and make new coffees and kind of be involved in a lot of different stuff that goes on awesome so we're uh we're by the way listening to the other podcasts i notice i say awesome literally to everything awesome uh so i'm gonna try and stop that this time but so well let's kick it off talking about this new cold brew so right now in my hand i have lavender wild which is delicious and uh, I've been trying all the new roastery cold brews, so you want to run us through the lineup? Yeah, so we are super excited. We're um, talking here in the early days of March, and we just released our canning line extension. We have three new flavors, so kind of to back it up, we've been canning and kegging our cold brew and nitro for a couple years now. Uh, started with cold brew in December of 2016, uh, and then nitro we started canning in June of the following year in 2017 um, and we rocked and rolled with those two products for a long time kind of establishing the market and introducing Kansas City to those products um, a lot of training and education on what cold brew is um, and then even more on what nitro is and um, the difference between iced coffee and a cold brew and then difference between still cold brew and nitrogen and cold brew um, so we've been rolling with those two flavors for a while, and then uh, just January of this year, 2019, released our CBD-infused cold brew, um, which was kind of surprised us in how popular it was, um, to be honest. We thought that it would be popular in really niche markets, um, yeah. especially in the CBD stores that, that we were partnering with to produce the product, which is American Shaman CBD stores. Mm-hmm. Um but it was, yeah, super popular in all of our cafes, and then immediately we had grocery stores and distribution chains asking for it, so that was really exciting. Um, and then now, here in the first week of March, we've released uh, three all-natural flavored cold brew products. Chocolate Raspberry is the first one, and then Lavender Wild, as you said, and then the last one is All Hopped Up, and that's a hops-infused cold brew. Um, yeah, super excited. They're all totally naturally flavored. They maintain the clean label that our cold brew and nitro have. So zero calories, zero sugars, no preservatives. Um, 
totally clean and delicious yeah. products. Yeah. No, they really are delicious. I mean, thank you. When you go, audience, when you go try these, because you should, you will taste exactly what the label says is on there. So that's always nice when that happens, you know. And yeah, the, the chocolate raspberry one was the funniest one in that regard. Um, it actually has zero with chocolate and raspberry are not used in the development of the product at all or in the recipe at all. Um, it uses a totally natural ingredient. Um, and just when that is combined with the flavor profile of the coffee, those are the flavors that yeah. we were tasting as we were drinking it. So, um, yeah, that was kind of a happy accident because we had a floral kind of in the works with lavender and then the hops we thought was a nice kind of alternative more masculine friendly type of offering yeah for those guys that don't want to walk around with a purple or pink so what does it mean now though that i picked the lavender (laughs) that means you're secure in who you are you're not yeah you're not afraid of carrying around a purple can hell no (laughs) the Um, lavender is delicious yeah so we're we're really excited about these and they've been pretty well received here in the first couple of weeks we're excited to get them out in front of more people and have people try them and yeah yeah watch it grow is cold brew like just across the coffee system one of those things that is hard to perfect it is um yeah we've been we've been cold brewing um for a long long time um and the industry's been cold brewing forever pretty much we've been cold brewing we started in 93 and have been cold brewing since 94 yeah um and originally we would just make it for people that had uh their stomachs couldn't handle the acidity in hot coffee very well mm-hmm. um so rather than turning them away from coffee we would cold brew and they would find that it was a lot easier to drink um and then in the last seven eight years as cold brews just began to skyrocket in popularity we started kegging it back in probably 2015 started canning it in 2016 and then since then we've started to kind of get creative on different flavors different during this year we'll be releasing more limited edition runs of single origin cold brews and different cold brew blends nice that'll be cool probably an organic and maybe a decaf so a lot in the works awesome I feel like I first heard about cold brew when uh, Starbucks did it, like, for the first time, like, two years ago, and they sold out or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, everything else, anything Starbucks does that is on trend with the rest of the industry is hugely significant for the rest of the industry. You know, Starbucks didn't have their glass cold brew bottles in every Walmart and every Target and every whatever across the country, then that many millions of people less would know about what cold brew is and be introduced to it so just like everything else they're kind of on the front of building the education for the products that the rest of us are trying to trying to move yeah well um so everyone go try this cold brew it's delicious amazing um so kind of Going back to you, uh, what is your history with the roastery? So the last four years you've been here. Yeah, so I started four years ago as a barista in our Brookside Cafe. Um, got that job 
moving back to Kansas City from kind of working backwards here. Um, I was living in Columbia, Missouri, going to school at Mizzou. Um, Went for about three semesters and then realized I was spending a lot of money and bailed on it. And What's then, uh, tens of thousands of dollars a year? Exactly. Come on. Yeah, I was I was in uh, I was on an education track. Yeah. Um, and the kind of education I was on track to do was not going to pay very much, and so I was watching myself pay I don't know however many thousands of dollars a semester um, for a degree that was going to get me into a job that was going to take twenty five years or whatever to pay off. Yeah. Um. And so I wasn't totally sure that I was that I didn't want to be in education, um, but just kind of stepped out of it. A lot of friends and family that I've had have taken alternative routes to education degrees. Um, yeah. So I was I stopped going to school and was working for I all throughout high school and college. I worked for grocery stores. I started in Lee Summit here in the Kansas City area, working at a Hy-Vee. Mm-hmm. Um, started as a cashier and cart pusher, and then kind of moved up into more autonomous roles, um, more independent roles, took on a little bit more responsibility, and I transferred to Hy-Vee in Columbia, Missouri when I went to when I was going to school. Um, and then a, a uh, grocery store called Lucky's Market opened up in town, mm-hmm. and they're similar to like a Sprouts, a lot of people yeah. around here know Sprouts, um, health and whole foods, farmer's market type, fresh produce store. Um, so I started there and then worked into a management position and was managing the produce department. So I was dealing with um, just like the daily quality control there, making sure everything was fresh. Um, at those types of stores, those farmer's market type stores, the department managers really manage like everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of hand them the keys to the department. So handling, handing, handling staffing and training and um, scheduling quality with produce. I was handling a little bit of sourcing, so doing purchasing and um, a little bit of strategic purchasing and planning, um, merchandising, placing products where they'll sell the most at the highest margins, that kind of thing. Um, and really had no idea what I was doing when I started. I was yeah. put in this position as like a 20-year-old kid with no management experience at all. Um, I was managing a team of like 20 people, more or less. So kind of stumbled through that job and ended up kind of taking to it and really enjoying it, the yeah. um, variety of what the job was. And then uh, kind of knew I didn't want to do grocery forever. So my uh, girlfriend at the time, now my wife, had graduated nursing school at Mizzou and gotten a job um, back here in Kansas City at Children's Mercy. So we were moving back, and um, like a lot of people in my last – couple years of college I had started drinking coffee and started drinking specialty coffee and started to take an interest in it and appreciate it and um, learn to taste for certain you know nuances in the coffee mm-hmm. um, and so we were moved back to Kansas City and um, just kind of thinking through what I wanted to do if not you know stick out and stick it out in grocery and had a buddy that was working at our Brookside Cafe as a barista mm-hmm. um, and you know from growing up in Kansas City was familiar with the Roastery's brand and presence and um, kind of role as a local company and um, there's a lot there to admire so 
I had him kind of hook me up with a job at our Brookside Cafe and started there and just fell in love with it. Um, you know, started, we do weekly rotations of coffee on our drip offering, so just week to week tasting different flavors of coffees and um, talking to customers, learning a lot from customers, educating yeah. customers, learning a lot from other baristas that I was behind the bar with. Um, and yeah, I really just fell in love with it. Um, started taking more and more interest in it and with coffee I and mean, everyone that's ever worked in coffee knows how much of a rabbit hole it can be once you get started there's just never I mean there's not an end to it um, as interested as you are as as much as you'll learn in the industry so yeah um, yeah so kind of went all out in it and uh, worked into a management position in the cafe and then pretty shortly after the green coffee buying job here at the plant opened up and I applied for it kind of thinking why not there was, there was no way I would get it but wanted to you know show that I was interested and show that I was committed to a career with the company and um, I got it which I was super fortunate and um, felt like I was underqualified uh, and I probably was but um, I mean I was just really appreciative that they saw yeah a kid that had the desire and had the passion and the willingness to learn and put in the work so um yeah so i've been doing this now for about three years coming up on three years and still drinking through a fire hose every day and yeah learning more and more and loving it that's awesome yeah so when you put in the application what happened after that or what yeah so what was the process then uh there were a few other people that were being considered for the job um I mean, the, the companies, the roasteries really always has been a big fan of promoting from within when possible. Um, so we, we always look internally first. Mm -hmm. And then if, if we don't have somebody that's ready to fill the position internally or um, or if there's just a stellar candidate on the outside, um, then we'll look at that. But we're always, we always turn internal first. Um, so I had the advantage of you know, having about a year of experience under my belt with the company and um, I guess showed that I was in it and was willing to work hard and kind of do whatever it took to get the job done. And um, So yeah, I went through a few different rounds of talking to a few different people about what I knew about the job and what I thought I had to offer and um, yeah. why I wanted it, kind of in the screening of a, I was, 25 at the time 26 at the time so the screening of a mm -hmm. younger kid making sure he you know knew what was going on and knew what he was getting into and was yeah with, so so yeah, really fortunate to yeah to get job. so is that um resulted then in the last three years you've been doing the green coffee buying like a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with some people who have been doing it for a long time i guess yeah um as I say, time there a lot, but you know, time, time, yeah. time, time, time to answer the question. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, one of the things that I've appreciated most about the job since I've been in it is um, a couple of things that are related. One, um, Danny and I cup twice a week together. Um, mm -hmm. Danny is the founder and CEO of the company. He started 
the company out of his basement, which I mean, if you look over your shoulder into our production space, it's pretty yeah. amazing that, that that all came out of like a, I don't know, 15 square foot basement. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and he's been so instrumental in kind of doing his part to build Kansas City cult coffee culture. Um, he's for sure Whoa. one of the one of the OGs of Kansas City specialty coffee. Yeah. Um, and really was, I mean, I would say the person locally to kind of put specialty coffee on the map in Kansas City, um, especially at the scale that he was able to do so. And yeah. then, uh, nationally, in the he played a big part in the early days of the Specialty Coffee Association and mm-hmm. um, a little bit in the Cup of Excellence and a lot yeah. of things that were really instrumental to the industry growing. So to be able to you know spend a couple afternoons cupping with him twice a week has been huge for my development, my understanding of coffee and how to taste coffee, how to buy coffee, how to um, represent all sides equally as a buyer, you know, representing us appropriately, representing the farmers and the exporters and importers and buying in a way that's fair and reasonable and um, make sure that everybody's healthy and taken care of. Um, and the thing that, yeah, he's he's always been really just as supportive um, of me as a buyer. Yeah. I mean, it blew my mind. I mean, I was two or three weeks into the job, mm-hmm. you know, in my mind as a kid that doesn't know a lot about coffee or the industry or whatever, kind of feeling like I'm in over my head. And one of the things that was really crucial to me early on, I, mean, I remember being two and a half or three weeks into the job, and we were cupping a line of lineup of coffees that we were looking to buy, um, and I was kind of asking his input, and he just looked at me and goes, "You're the buyer. I wouldn't have, <laughs> like, I, like I wouldn't have put you in this position if I didn't trust you to make the decision." Yeah. Um, so from basically day one, kind of just giving me that buying power and yeah. that um, final say as to what coffees we're going to serve, what farmers we're going to represent. Um, yeah, that's been super empowering and really important. I mean, I know a lot of people that have been buying coffee for a hell of a lot longer than I have that, um, and not that either way is good or bad, um, but that um, still don't have that level of empowerment or yeah. buying power. So That's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. He's got to be a great person to work for. Yeah, he's, he's uh, never short for new ideas, never short for... Um, I mean, all of this, anything, you could walk into the, our factory location once a month and see something new. Um, mm-hmm. And he's, yeah, since he started in his basement, he's never, he's never out of new ideas or ways to challenge us to think about doing something differently or more efficiently or more effectively. Um, the wheels are always turning. He sleeps about six hours a week, I think. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the one of those kind of guys. That's awesome. Yep. Gotta appreciate that. So in the in your time as green coffee buyer, have you traveled a lot since then? Yeah, we travel a few times a year. Um the first trip we went on was um October of twenty sixteen. Um mm-hmm. and Brazil was my first origin 
which for anyone that's ever been to Brazil, it's a hell of a first stop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's Brazil produces about a third of the world's coffee. Um, it's the the scale of the operation in Brazil is just insane. I mean, whether you're on a single farm or you're at a wet mill or dry mill, um, it yeah the the sheer volume of the coffee that moves in Brazil is just nuts. I, mean, I remember standing in the dry mill warehouse in Washupe, which is an exporter, the largest in Brazil. And this place had a capacity of over three million bags of coffee. So we were standing there, and it's like it's my first time in a dry mill, so I like mm-hmm. don't know what I don't know. And Danny just leans over and goes, "I don't remember what country he said Ethiopia or something exports three million bags annually." Wow. And we're standing in this dry mill for just for one region of Brazil with a three million bag capacity. And they tell us that this place is just breaking ground to double that capacity and go from three to six. Um, so yeah, that, that's just, Brazil is just crazy. I mean, if you look at the sea market of coffee, which is the commodities market that a lot of the global production of coffee is traded on, um, anytime you see a significant increase or decrease in the price of coffee globally, there's almost always a tie to Brazil. Either there wow. was a frost in Brazil and they underperformed in terms of volume or they had an ideal weather season and their production ramped up or whatever or the even just the economic state of the Brazilian real um, yeah so Brazil's crazy uh, and then we visited Colombia which was great um, we have really really deep relationships in both of those two places which is why it was the first of my trips um, in Brazil, it's Fazenda Lagoa, single farm coffee that we bought since 98, mm-hmm. I want to say. And then in Colombia, it's a community coffee that's produced by about 35 different farmers, small farmers who have on average about two and a half, three hectares of land. Um, so as a community, they contribute to a larger lot um, that we've bought since 97 or so. Um, so really deep relationships there. Those were awesome first places to to visit in Brazil. Um, Marcelo Vieira was the original owner of the Fazenda Lagoa farm and now his cousin uh, Adolfo kind of owns and or manages and operates it. Um, so meeting those two guys. Marcelo was instrumental in the in the building of the Brazil Specialty Coffee Association. Um, so he was one of the ones that put Brazil on the map in terms of specialty coffee production, um, which is fairly young. Just yeah. In the last 20, 25 years or so. Um, so, yeah, and then Costa Rica was the next trip, and uh, Guatemala, Mexico. Um, the bucket list that I haven't been to yet is Africa and Southeast Asia, which are both budgeted for this year. So, Oh, nice. Um, towards the end of the year, I think we're going to visit Ethiopia and Kenya. And end of the year? Yeah, and then hit Sumatra as well. Cool. This year. So, when you go over there, will you just, like, stay over there and keep going around, or will you move from place to place? place? Yeah, so it kind of depends. Every trip's a little bit different. Um, Sometimes you'll go to Colombia and spend 12 or 13 days and do a really intense um, dive into one or two regions. And then sometimes um, you're on a 
multi-country trip and you spend three or four days in each one and so it kind of depends each each trip's a little bit different um depending on what the purpose of the trip is if you're going to catch up and kind of strengthen established relationships or if you're there to get down to the nitty-gritty and find some mm-hmm. new coffees or or both um so in africa we'll probably we probably fly into one of ethiopia or kenya spend five or six days visiting producers and wet mills exporters and then fly to the other one uh spend another four or five six days and then fly out cool yeah that's awesome said it again awesome i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cut it whatever (laughs) it can be my tagline (laughs) um so get to travel those times and then are you talking to these people on a daily basis then um not really a daily basis um we really will go through seasons um where we'll talk to more producers or exporters from certain countries um than others so Mm -hmm. we just got back from a trip to costa rica and so um I'm talking a lot right now with Chino, who's one of the guys we buy from, um, one of the exporters that exports our Don Quixote coffee. Um, so I talk with him maybe once a week or so this time of year, but then once the coffee's you know contracted and shipped and we're kind of through the ship shipment and arrival stage of the season, um, we st- I mean we still talk to most of the people in our supply chain every now and then just to catch up, um, mm-hmm. even if it has nothing to do with business. Um, but yeah, business-wise, we'll we'll talk a couple times a week kind of during the hot season for that coffee and then maybe once every three or four weeks thereafter. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. So for the quality control piece, is that like pretty much from the time the coffee that you buy then shows up to here and until it gets into a bag? You just kind of into your tummy, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's the broadest part of the job for sure. Okay. Um, so the quality control, yeah, goes from everything from green coffee sourcing, you know, making sure that the coffees that we buy aren't um, don't have hidden coffee defects in them, um, whether it's insect damage or beans that were picked prematurely or mm-hmm. too late in the harvest and didn't get sorted out. Um, making sure that the coffee's clean and um, yeah, at a high quality in terms of the green quality and then making sure that it ships here in a timely manner, that it gets here fresh, that it doesn't sit on a port in Buenaventura, Colombia and during the rainy season and take on a bunch of moisture, get parked next to a another box of oils or something that has a crazy odor Mm -hmm. um so kind of just keeping everything moving throughout the process in terms of green coffee and then once it gets here making sure obviously it gets rotated and doesn't sit on our shelves for very long uh and then making sure that the roast quality is intact for all of our coffees um that they're all roasted consistently roasted fresh um blended if they're going to be in a blend to the appropriate proportions sealed appropriately um, and then shipped uh, quickly and shipped fresh to the consumer. Cool. Yeah. 
So then you really do play a part in like every part of it then. So do you know how to roast and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, we, and I'm, I've kind of been acting as I guess you would say, we don't really, we kind of share the roasting responsibilities, but for the last few years I've been owning the roasting process, I guess you could say master roaster. Really well. mm-hmm. um, is the guy that does the, he's our head roaster, so he roasts like, I don't know, an ungodly amount of coffee every day or every week. Um, and we use Loring Smart Roasters, which are really, really awesome because you can, they're programmable. Um, mm-hmm. So rather than having, I mean, we have one guy that in more or less 40 hours a week will roast 6,500 pounds week in, week out, and then during the busy seasons in the fourth quarter, that'll spike to, I don't know, seven or 8,000 pounds, maybe 500. Um, and we can have one guy do all of that because of the roasters that we use. Um, and Whoa. they're, they're Loring's, which means they're automated roasters. So um, we can create a roast curve or a roast recipe that basically says once this coffee gets into the roaster, there's going to be this amount of heat applied at these stages um, to mm-hmm. allow the coffee to hit a certain temperature at a certain time throughout the roast. Um, kind of like a baking recipe or you yeah. know, whatever. It follows a progression or a track, a very specific track the entire way through the roast. Um, and with our Loring's, we have a specific roast curve or roast recipe for every coffee that we have, which is about 20 different coffees, more or less. Um, and rather than having one person glued to each roaster, manually adjusting the gas and the airflow and all that, um, we have it programmed in there so our roaster can load in the coffee and say, I want to roast this Pitolito, the state of Columbia, in a light roast, and then press start and the machine will roast it more consistently than anybody could standing right next to it. Um, so it roasts it super consistently. It's incredibly efficient because he can roast, he can run four machines at the same time mm-hmm. um, and kind of keep them all firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Eight hours a day. That's great. Yeah. So I always say we, we, more than a lot of people actually like production roast almost from the cupping room in the, in the cupping room, every, the beginning of every day for us in the cupping room, um, every production day we'll take a production sample of every batch of coffee that we roast. So we'll take Mm -hmm. about 50 grams retention sample for every batch that we roast today. And then tomorrow morning, the first thing we're going to do when we come in is line all those up and it might be anywhere from 50 to 65 cups of coffee. Um, We'll line all those up by origin and by roast level and cup every single one of them and make sure that everything's tasting exactly how we want it to taste. Um, So that way as the coffees age and start to change a little bit, as the flavor profiles start to shift, then as we're tasting those every single day, we just really gradually adjust the roast recipes and make sure that we always kind of keep it on track before it gets into your hands and you brew it up and say, huh, this tastes a little bit darker. This tastes like it has less body than it used to or whatever. Um, we're kind of monitoring that day in and day out and mm-hmm. keeping, it, keeping it on track. That's good to know. Yeah. I'm sure people will appreciate that you're, much you're time put into it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that's all. That, that's cool. Um, so, 
That's how you start out every morning. Is every morning. Yeah. Every morning. Yeah. So you have a lot of caffeine then. A lot of coffee. We spit it all out. Oh, okay. For the most part. Okay. Yeah. Well, I but feel. You still. You still. I feel better than a lot of the caffeine for sure. Yeah. Do you even get affected by caffeine anymore? No, I never really have. Um, okay. That's. I don't know why. I, my body's just never really responded to. I don't really respond very well to stuff like ibuprofen or mm-hmm. aspirin either. It just it, my body doesn't like to. What about beer? Can you take down a case and fly a plane? Easy, no. easy, easy, man. So, anyone looking for a drunk pilot? <laughs> no, no, no problem. Just kidding. Whoever monitors that. <laughs> well, that's cool. So, I'm sure that keeps things pretty interesting having to dial that in. Yeah, all the fun. time it's a lot of fun and it mm-hmm. it's a really great way to um to just give yourself continued training on yeah. roasting as well because every day you're tweaking with roast profiles and um you know rather than dialing in a roast profile for one coffee and then it's gone in three months and you do the same thing again you really get to develop an understanding of what's happening during the roasting process and as the coffee changes what that does to the roaster so if you lose you know half a percentage of moisture content what that does to the coffee how it's going to respond in the roaster on the same roast curve how to adjust for that etc so it's it's a really great way to yeah just continue to kind of learn and refine the, mm-hmm. the skill of roasting so on your guys tours do you go through all that like the person giving the tour talks yeah. about that whole process yeah we talk about our our QA process of cupping every batch that we roast and we talk a little bit about the roasters and what they are, how they work, why they're significant, how they're different than what a lot of the industry uses. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That is, I've never encountered a giant roaster like that that has a, is that automatic? Yeah. Yeah. Loring's are, are pretty unique in that way yeah they're unique machines in a lot of ways they're they run cleaner than any machine on the planet any roasting machine on the planet so i assume they're like a sign they're a significant investment as well yeah for sure but you probably they're not dirty yeah yeah they're not but they're i mean they're totally the payoff on it i mean if you can afford to make the initial investment the payoff's crazy if if you have the I mean, the, there's payoff regardless of your volume, but especially if you have the volume mm-hmm. you know, when you're running multiple roasters at a time. I yeah. mean, you're talking about going from three production roasters to one roaster. Yeah. Um, so even in that, the payoff's significant in terms of how quickly it pays itself off. And then on top of that, you have you know the consistency, the control of the roasts, um, the fact that I mean, we could pump 50 batches of the exact same coffee out right now and every single one of them would come out tasting identical um which is super hard to do if you're sitting there manually roasting the coffee because yeah generally speaking people don't aren't as consistent as computers um (laughs) yeah so when you can incorporate a level of automation and maintain the control of of what you're doing with the product um yeah to me it's just a no-brainer there's a lot of people that I think are get uneasy about automation but mm-hmm. in my from my perspective you know if it's if it supports what you're doing and it doesn't replace you 
or someone else that's doing it. Um, and again, we brought on these roasters as we were scaling, um, mm-hmm. as we were growing. So for us, it prevented us from having to hire out that position to multiple people, which gives yeah. more money within the company, which allows us to continue to invest in the company and then the people here. And mm-hmm. yeah, so for us, automation is an awesome thing if it's used appropriately and wisely and yeah, yeah, sustainably. So when you're testing the quality and picking stuff out to buy, are there ones from different parts of the world that you look forward to more or, you know, uh, if you're, are there particular micro lots, single or that you enjoy more than others or? Yeah, it kind of depends on, I mean, I'm kind of ready for each coffee as the season for it rolls around. Okay. Um, probably my, yeah, I mean, I, I really, each, each and every one of the coffees that we offer, almost every single one of them at some point in a calendar year will be like my favorite coffee or my go-to. Um, and probably the three or so that are consistently kind of on the top of that rotation are Kenya's, love Kenya's to death. Um, natural Ethiopia's, especially from Yergachev, I really love. Um, and then I really love um, really good Colombians as well. Okay. So those are probably the three that are at the top. Um, but yeah, I've been really on a kick of natural Costa Rica's lately. Um, and we're going to, we just were in Costa Rica in January, into January. Um, and we're going to be adding a natural Costa Rica to our regular coffee offering, which I'm super excited about. Okay. Um, but yeah, kind of every coffee has its place and has its, whether it's at a certain time of the day or or a certain time of the year or whatever. Yeah. Every every coffee's right at a, yeah. at a certain time. It's a good motto for life overall. That's right. <laughs> you know, everything happens right. for a reason. Um, so, forget, Costa Rica is, I've been there and I enjoy it. So, I'm like, I'm drinking mostly you know brit i'm sure you've seen them Mm -hmm. because it looks like they own the airport when you fly in like yeah um but apparently they're just like the starbucks of costa rica so i really didn't even dive in that well (laughs) to the costa rica coffee scene yeah costa rica has a i mean a lot of producing countries do nowadays as opposed to several years ago but they have a growing um internal coffee scene for most of the and even now i mean most of the coffee roasted and sold internal to producing countries is pretty gnarly low quality coffee because the best stuff gets an awesome price as an export and so they export the best stuff and then uh the lower quality coffees um are usually maintained for internal consumption um that being said, um, I think in the last just several years, um, a lot of producing countries have come a long way in terms of the quality that they're consuming internally, which is really exciting because, I mean, a lot of, even now, a lot of, I would say most 
farmers probably have never tasted their own coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they have, they've tasted it just like sample roasted and cupped. Um, but it's not the, the coffee that they're drinking day in and day out. It's not their best exported coffee. Yeah. Um, and when you, when you are tasting that coffee, your best coffee, the coffee that specialty roasters are clamoring for, um, I think that it can go a long way into um, just continuing to build a passion for the for the craft. I mean, a lot of the best farmers out there are not all of them, but a lot of them are starting to buy roasters and starting to roast their coffee internally and. Yeah, and a lot of the, I mean, the the consuming market within some of these countries, Costa Rica, Colombia, Brazil, um, is starting to appreciate more of, of uh, they're starting to appreciate specialty coffee a little bit more and pay a little bit more for it. And so, yeah, it's, it's fun to see that develop in certain countries. It's good. I wonder what it will be like in, like, 10 years. We'll see. We'll see. It was funny in, in Mexico, which I didn't, come across a ton of really good coffees in Mexico as, as I mean like coffees that were um, being consumed in Mexico roasted mm-hmm. and sold um, but we were in the Veracruz region and I swear like every block you would see a little shop with a roaster in it um, that was cool I'd never seen anything like that before I mean you in Costa Rica there's quite a few roasters um but yeah, in Mexico there is like it seemed like every family had somebody that was roasting coffee, which is cool. It kind of that is cool. Yeah, and Mexico is a pretty big producer, right? Um, yeah, not not huge. I mean, not one of like the mammoth producers, but they're a they're a good sized producer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that um, I'd imagine that would be pretty cool to see. Um, so I guess talking about coffee scenes. How do you fit, like, seeing Kansas City, uh, a lot of the people I talk to, they say, you know, we're, like, number three to Portland and Seattle. Uh, do you agree with that sentiment? Sentiment? Um, I think I think Kansas City definitely has, <clears throat> I mean, I, I can't say definitely, right, because I haven't been to every city in the country. Um, yeah. But. No, you can make I, that gigantic I, claim. <laughs> it's fine. No one <laughs> yeah. will care. Um, but man, it's it is really rare. Just I mean, just traveling and having spent a few days here and there in some of the most popular coffee cities, um, Kansas City has something really special in that there's really nobody messing it up from a roasting yeah. perspective. I mean, there are obviously roasters who roast a little bit higher quality than others or whatever mm-hmm. um, but even that like in, in Kansas City man for the most part the quality of the coffee that everyone's buying is really really good um, mm-hmm. and then what we do with it's a little bit different and certain roasters will kind of roast to different demographics so in Kansas City I would say it's um, yeah there's a lot to, to be said for the variety that we produce in terms of style whereas in some other coffee cities that I've been in recently like there might be 40 local roasters and 20 of them are 
really low quality and don't really I mean you can kind of tell they maybe aren't super passionate about it or it's just a side hobby and they never really took the time to learn it or whatever um, so maybe 20 of them are pretty gnarly and then 10 of them are decent but not spectacular and then maybe there's five or six that are really special yeah um, and yeah in Kansas City I mean everybody's you can almost any neighborhood or any anywhere you're at in the city you can walk a couple blocks and and get a pretty damn good cup of coffee um, and it's always been amazing to me how well the community supports specialty coffee as well I mean you can see it seems like every year there's a couple of new roasters or new coffee shops that come up and pretty much everybody just does well yeah and like you look around and it's like you'd think that the market was saturated or close to it but then it just seems like we can continue to add roasters or add coffee shops and they continue to do well so it's a really exciting city to be in in that regard i mean being able to do things like launch these new flavored cold brews and just see how the city responds to them and um yeah it's it's a lot of fun to to be in the in the coffee scene in kansas city yeah um and also it's really been i mean we would i mean like everybody we owe everything to the coffee community we'd be we would never have gotten out of the basement in brookside you know if it weren't for people that were for sure appreciative of the passion that goes into the coffees and everything that we do so yeah it's it's a really special city um it's so yeah i i to me i mean obviously i'm incredibly biased being from kansas city and working in the industry in kansas city but yeah it, it is hard for me to imagine a city that produces such great coffee as kansas city and also has a community that supports it as well as the city does here yeah i I genuinely have not had a conversation with anybody where they're like, hate that roaster, I only go with this roast, you know. No. They uh, have everyone's coffee at yeah, every which, time. which part of that's just, I mean, part of that's the culture of Kansas City, right? Like where yeah. There's not a ton of gnarly, hateful people yeah. in Kansas City. Um, that's a plus. And especially, I mean, once in the coffee industry – in general, I mean, there's a the coffee industry is just full of really good people. Yeah, um, that's one of my favorite things about being a coffee buyer is the people we're buying from, whether it's farmers or millers or exporters, importers, um, everyone we buy from is just a great person. Um, mm-hmm. They're pleasant to work with, and are people that you know if they come in town or we go visit them, we're staying at their homes or whatever they're staying at ours or i mean just people that you want to be close to people that you want to build relationships with um so that kind of being the makeup of the coffee the industry culture um i mean it's just the same in kansas city we're um friendly i mean i don't know that there's a whole lot of other cities in the country who's coffee industry supports itself and supports one another quite like Kansas City does um yeah there's a good amount of competition but um it's all friendly and healthy and fun yep yeah that it is 
It's almost like there should be a company called KC Coffee Collective. <laughs> <laughs> what a plug. If only there was someone to tie it all together. Damn it. Man. I bet their name would be Ethan. <laughs> Something like that. Something. You guys have so much coffee, I just like keep looking back in awe. Yeah, today's a, today's a coffee receipt day, so we received 26 of those pallets of coffee. I thought you were going to say bags for a second, and then you say pallets. Pallets. And then yeah. I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, so today was, this morning the trailer pulled back in and unload the pallets, check them in, make sure they're there, make sure nothing's smells funny or looks like it got any moisture or anything and then tag them and stack them on the rack but will constrictor arrive sure. on one from costa rica yeah. or something like that yep don't want none of that man that would be terrible <laughs> uh, okay so yeah are you are you guys involved in the coffee championships this weekend at all yeah so we'll be around um at the events yeah um and then here on friday night we're throwing a after parties so we'll kind of cool. invite the industry into our factory location and just host and have some drinks and have some food and hang out and have a good time cool and then uh we'll be around this weekend there's some fun stuff going on so we're um helping out with uh the caffeine crawl event um with the wiffle ball and frisbee and all that stuff going on so it'll be a fun event we're really excited to to host the industry here in Kansas City. It's been a while since we've had this type of event come through. So, yeah. yeah. Kansas City really was um, a really important city. Not that none of this stuff would have happened without Kansas City, but early on in the SCA, um, a lot of the competitions and the early, early, early barista competitions and stuff like that came through Kansas City. And um, I guess that kind of going back to something we were talking about a couple minutes ago speaks to how deep the industry runs in Kansas City I mean it's been since day one you know in the early 90s when specialty coffee really was born in Kansas City we've just been a city that has um, supported the industry and supported the market and um, yeah so it's it's always exciting and fun to see the industry come back through town for special events or yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe you'll see an article across the internet saying Kansas City new number one. We'll see. Somebody's got to. That would be awesome. Somebody that's not a roaster has to put it out there. So we'll see. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it wouldn't be biased at all if you guys, not maybe, if you wanted to put that out there. Not at all. Okay. So uh, I like to ask this question What aspect of the coffee world, or, you know, whether it's where you get the coffee, the process of it, the people involved. What do you want the people who buy roastery coffee or any coffee to be familiar with or know about the process? Can I have two answers? No. Yes. Yes, you can. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> um, so first, I mean, I think the most important thing is kind of what we talked about a few minutes ago, that mm -hmm. just the quality of people in the industry yeah. um, I mean you'll find people that aren't the kind of people that you want to work with in any industry um, but for whatever reason there's certain industries that just attract genuine 
awesome people, um, and coffee's one of them. Um, so there are people that you don't, you might not necessarily want to work around or work with, or you know, people that aren't that are less than trustworthy in coffee. But there's so many people that are fantastic in the industry that it's really easy whenever you come across one that you don't want to do business with to just not do business with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so easy to surround yourself with awesome people who you trust and who share similar values um, and allow us to do things like, you know, buy the same community coffees from Colombia and Costa Rica for 20 plus years um, and have awesome coffee, super consistent quality, um, going to support communities that need support. Um, yeah, it's, it's just so easy to surround yourself with, with great people. Um, and I think for whatever reason, there's, and it's probably grounded in, it's probably a good, a, a um, honest skepticism based on some of the practice of like commodity traded coffee. Um, but for whatever reason, it seems like people, it seems like coffee consumers are a little bit, um, I don't want to word this incorrectly. Um, but it seems like there's a little bit of like a lack of trust, mm-hmm. um, which I don't want to sit here and, you know, as a coffee buyer and roaster and say we can all be trusted. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the industry is just so full of good people. Um, and I think one of the great things that's happened in the industry in the last five to ten years is how we've began to tell the story of the coffees mm-hmm. um, as an industry. I mean, a lot of companies, us being one of them, have seen that as a critical part of, one, of differentiating why our coffee's different than somebody else's, um, but then also just as a something that's super important in life is just telling the stories of who's producing this coffee, why it's great, that it didn't just turn out to be an awesome coffee. Like there was a lot of hard work and a lot of sweat and a lot of years of preparation and refining the art of farming to produce these awesome coffees. Um, so I guess the, the one thing I, or one of the things I would want people to know is that behind every great coffee, there's a great story. Um, and I would just encourage if, if that interests you or if that kind of, yeah, piques your interest, then um, there's always at least with our coffees, there's always a way to learn that story and mm-hmm. learn the producer's names um, or the exporter's names if it's a community coffee or co-op coffee. Um, yeah, so I think, especially in Kansas City, pretty much everybody's more than willing to share you know, how we source our coffees and who we're getting our coffees from and where the money's going to for these coffees, how it's supporting and impacting the communities that it's going to. Um, I mean, in a lot of cases, for some of our coffees in particular, um, there are really night and day differences of before this community was exporting specialty coffee to after this community was exporting specialty coffee. What a difference that can make. Um, you know, as a consumer, I mean, the, the, the importance of buying local here in Kansas City um, is that I mean, you can trust the grocers in Kansas City that we're buying from the right people, we're working with the right people, um, we're paying fair prices for coffees and, and rewarding farmers who are 
doing an excellent job at, at producing the coffees. So that would be the, the one thing. And again, for any of our coffees, I mean, we're, we put a lot of effort into telling the stories of these coffees. Um, and if anybody ever wants to hear more, I mean, the one way to get me talking and not stop talking is to ask me about our coffees um, yeah. and the people behind them. Um, so that's, that's kind of a general or an at-large thing I'd like people to know. And then about our company, I mean, we really we really are have a dedication to doing everything that we do to the highest quality that we possibly can. Um, and we do a lot of different things um, because we always talk about our company as a service company mm-hmm. who happens to have a business of coffee. Um, so I think a lot of the industry at large and not as much in recent years um, but earlier in the life of the specialty industry a lot of people would produce and offer coffees that they loved Mm -hmm. um, which is fine I mean there's nothing wrong with it Um, but we one of the things that we wanted to do differently early is look at what the customer wants, what the consumer wants, what our guests want, um, and then give them that at the highest quality that we can possibly do it. Um, so in everything that we do, whether it's our you know, micro lots, our single origin coffees that we offer year round, our blends, our single serve pods that you would run through a Keurig, our flavored coffees, they all use the exact same coffee um, nothing we do skirts quality because we can save a nickel a pound here and there. Um, and really, we honestly leave a lot of money on the table mm-hmm. because of that. Um, but we see really for two reasons. One, um, if somebody's choosing the roastery, then we owe it to them to give them the best possible product. And two, if somebody's going to buy any coffee product from us and we want that to support the farmers who are doing the best work um so for example in all of our flavored coffees um we use our brazil from fazenda lagoa so we didn't want that to go into a cheaper regional blend that is a blend of thousands of different farms that doesn't really have a face behind it we wanted it to um we wanted every sale of our Betty's flavored blender, our holiday blend, or whatever, to support Marcelo and Adolfo at, at Fazenda Lagoa. Um, and I think that's something that, not to say that it's, yeah, I think that's something that people don't necessarily think of very often. And I think sometimes people think of things like decaf, or they think of things like flavored coffees, or carrot pods, and they think, oh, well, there's obviously lower quality coffees going into those products because the people that are buying those products aren't as quote unquote specialty or astute yeah. or whatever. Um, and yeah, that's that's a business that we want no part of. So yeah, every everything we do, we do is at the highest quality that we can possibly do it. And yeah, that's that's one of the things that that I'm most proud of to about how the roastery operates and how I mean that's that was one of the core core tenants from 93 so that's one of the things we've held on to all these years oh yeah that's awesome
It's great to know. Yes, hey, I had to say it there. <laughs> and I mean, just looking out and looking at everything that you guys have set up, it's obvious that the care and the love is there. And I'm sure it gets more and more difficult the bigger and bigger you get to maybe tell that or get that message across to the masses. But I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it. I guess the people that want to hear the message will hear the message. Yeah. And not everybody necessarily cares. Not everybody, um, I mean, some people buy a certain coffee because it's local and because they want to support something local, but in terms of flavor, they could, you know, buy any one of the larger multinational brands, um, which is fine. I mean, we want to give those people the best coffees that we can give at, you know, the price that they're willing to pay for the coffee and the time that they're willing to put into it every morning. Um, so I guess it's it's identifying who wants to hear that and making sure that you have a voice out to that person that's that's looking to hear it. Yeah. Perfect. Well, come by here, get the roastery tour. I'm sure you'll get all that, get to see that in person. Yeah. So we so. do factory tours Monday through Friday. We do them twice a day, 10:30 and 12:30. Um, and you get a full tour. So you'll start off with um, some videos about the history of coffee in general, and then some company history. Um, some cool videos about kind of our processes and how we do what we do and then you'll get to come out onto our production floor kind of take a 360 tour see our roasting um you know if it's monday through friday you get to watch us roast fresh kind of right there next to the roasters and then go through the process from roasting to blending packaging shipping um talk a little about a little bit about coffee production how it gets here where we get the coffees from processing how that plays in uh, rolling the ways coffees taste and that kind of thing and then afterwards we wrap up by doing a little bit of learning about our cold brewing process and get to sample some of our cold brew coffees and then we do a brew demonstration a few different brewing methods and we'll taste the difference between one coffee brewed multiple ways so cool. it's a good time a lot of ton of information packed into about an hour so bring a notepad bring a notepad that's right Hey, they, that's a good transition into the rapid fire. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you sure? I'm super sure. Because I'm really not even ready. That's the fun of the rapid fire. I don't decide you, until you right here and now. Yeah. All right. What's it going to be? Only if this was like a live radio show and we could have the audience call in. <laughs> okay. So first one is going to be. Here's what it's going to be. First one, what's your... It's not as rapid as I was expecting. No, it's not very <laughs> rapid. I apologize, audience. So what is your what is your favorite coffee here at the roastery? Right now or... Now and ever. All time. All time and now. Oof. Both. Double the pressure. Right now, I think my favorite all time... Okay, so I'll start with my all-time favorite is the man. There's there's like three or four of them that are really close. I think my 
Now you're making so this hard. slow fire. Um, answering my answer is appropriate to the, <laughs> the way that the question yeah. was asked. Oh, nice. <laughs> Shade being um, thrown. Come all on. right. So my favorite of our like regular offerings are the stuff that we carry all the time is our natural Ethiopia from these past two crops. Okay. Um, it's a Yergachev from a washing station called Banco Gutiti, uh, and it is just unbelievable. Super fruit forward, big blueberry, a little bit of raspberry, um, super clean, velvety, creamy body. Um, it's about as good as it gets in terms of naturals. Um, other than that, since that's like both probably all-time and current. Um, other than that, we've had a, we have a Columbia that we're actually just now getting ready to release, which is pretty nuts. Um, it's called El Tambo. It's from Talca. Um, and it's one of the more exotic, complex coffees that I've tasted in quite a while. Um, it has like a really nice, clean pineapple type acidity to it, and then is loaded full of chocolates and caramels and honey and yeah, it's it's pretty wild. But super excited for that one. Um, yeah, there's so many, man. It's an impossible question. It's the best kind of rapid fire, right? Makes it easy. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Now, now everybody has two more that they want to try. Okay, next rapid-fire question. How do you make your coffee at home? Depends on the coffee. Um, What's your favorite way? I have a bunch of different. So depending on the coffee at home, I have a Chemex V60, AeroPress, French press. I mostly use the French press for travel just because it's easy and you can stuff a bunch of socks inside it. It's yeah. convenient. Um yeah, I think travel tip from the roastery: most, stuff socks inside your French press. That's right. Uh, especially if it's glass, because then you both maximize your travel space. Yeah. And you keep the glass from shattering. Yep. It's fantastic. Um, usually, I like V60 pour overs. Um, okay. I think that it does a really good job of balancing the clarity and body of the coffee. Um, Sometimes with like the really big fruit bombs like Kenya's or sometimes with Ethiopia's. Um, I like those in AeroPress. Mm-hmm. And then with other more delicate coffees, Guatemala's and some others. I like Chemex's. But yeah, it kind of depends on the coffees and what I'm making them for, what I'm doing with them. Fair enough. Okay. My biggest takeaway out of that question was the socks and the French press. So, yeah. I think the audience is going to like that one. Good. All right, final question. Now, this may hit a personal note. No. Alex, owner of Hammerhands, your brother-in-law. He is. Is there friendly competition between you guys um, on who's the best coffee person? think there is in in those terms um i think we both agree that there's really no like at the at the once you get to the higher end of specialty coffee Mm -hmm. it doesn't become as much who's better as much as style and yeah how 
like once you've identified your demographic or your target customer it's really just about how you hit how you hit at home with them so okay. um, yeah Alex as you know Alex has done an awesome job at Hammerhand with um, providing Liberty with some awesome super local especially coffee mm-hmm. um, they've gone through a hell of a lot since they opened with yeah building collapses and all sorts of other no big deal <laughs> no big deal uh, all sorts of other fun stuff but yeah, yeah he's um, yeah really excited to have Hammerhand in Kansas City and I mean just another specialty roaster that started off and has been well received and kind of has an awesome reputation for having a super high quality product and a dedication and a kind of a seriousness and commitment to producing awesome coffee um, that's one of the awesome things about the Kansas City coffee culture is you can't really make it unless you're like for real about it like yeah you can't buy a roaster and buy some coffee and half-ass it because yeah. you just won't yeah, yeah there's too many awesome roasters yeah it's too hard yeah okay what is your favorite coffee he's made and I'm gonna ask him the same question oh shoot um I think he does an awesome job at their I think their espresso brand's really awesome mm-hmm. um but yeah, probably my favorite is their current Uganda micro lot. Um, it's really tasty. Yeah. And Uganda is one that I typically, it's kind of a hit or miss origin for me. I mean, that's one of the ones that we've, I'm kind of always looking for Ugandas, Rwandas, and Burundis because they're, they kind of have an exotic nature to them and that people like buying those coffees for whatever reason. They are exciting and they're interesting to the consumer. Um, but for me, those three origins in particular kind of hit or miss in terms of um, it's there's a, it's really easy to find a good coffee out of those producing countries, um, and it seems like it's a little bit harder to find a truly exceptional coffee. Um, he's done an awesome job identifying that that current offering is a Uganda that's really special, and he does an awesome job roasting it. Yeah. I was hoping to hit like a dramatic family nerve or something. Next time, maybe. Make this a dramatic podcast instead of full of loving and appreciating people. Sorry, man. God, it's terrible. Okay, well, that pretty much wraps it up for our list of questions. This is officially the longest one. It's about to hit an hour and a half. Man. Didn't feel like it. No. Way to... Felt like five minutes. Yeah. So much fun. I know. <laughs> Is that sarcastic? No, not at all. Oh my god, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, no, man. I, I. Okay. I always, uh, as I continue to spout after you started wrapping it up. No, it's um, okay. I always like find my in, in our roasting facility where cupping room is. We have garage doors that we almost always have. Yeah. Opened up so we can interact with people and yeah, educate people, talk to people, answer questions, whatever, kind of as they're going through the plant. Um, and about once a week, I'll like somebody will ask me, like some poor innocent person will ask me a question. And then you just take and up then their like day. An hour later, <laughs> I'm like, this person doesn't want to be here anymore. No, like, no, they're like, all right. I'm like talking to them about introducing controlled yeast strains into no oh, geez fermentation. And yeah. Well, now we're gonna lose the podcast audience if we go there. Shoot. No, I'm just kidding. No, at least you got three under your belt before yeah (laughs) right right no it's gonna be great 
the world's gonna love it and i appreciate the highlighting of the people and yeah maybe we can do uh one another time and maybe do more of a bio on your farmers and things like yeah, that that'd be awesome yeah that would be cool okay we're gonna wrap it up any last messages no i mean yeah again if if you haven't been on a factory tour we'd love to have you and show you the space and answer any questions you might have about who we are what we do and kind of the people behind the process um and if you haven't been to any of our cafes yet check us out we have nine local cafes across the Kansas city area so well, we're we're close to you so, somewhere yeah come say hi all right well thank you you bet thank you all right guys i hope you enjoyed that interview with craig i sure did can't wait to have him back on another time but uh go make sure and go check out the roastery at theroastery.com make sure and check out some of their if you're ever in, if you live in or around Kansas City make sure and check out some of their shops their factory does tours all the time it's a cool place to check out it's pretty amazing it's pretty huge lots of coffee so um thank you again to uh Craig and the roastery for being such great hosts i really enjoyed the entire experience and I'm excited for everyone to have listened to this episode. So thank you guys so much. We appreciate you coming by to support the coffee people in this world that help us have our delicious beans in the morning. So we appreciate you. Love you. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.